Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. How you doing, everyone? I'm Russ Salzberg here, and I want you all to listen up and get a load of this. What's happened to the heavyweight division in boxing? Well, I'll tell you what's happened. It sucks. Big time. We're going to talk about it here with my special guest today, Teddy Atlas. Plus fake news in the world of sports and week one in Major League Baseball. All right, like I said, I don't know what the hell has happened to the heavyweight division in boxing. I mean, boxing has its issues as it is, but the heavyweight, I mean, to be the heavyweight champ in a heavyweight division, that was like, wow. You know, I, I'm not just talking about the era of, you know, Ali and Frazier and Foreman, you know, people like that. I'm going back from Joe Lewis and Rocky Marciano and, you know, Dempsey. It stinks now. I mean, it absolutely stinks. I watched the fight Saturday night like it was a joke. Everybody's talking about this Anthony Joshua, like, wow, you know, from from England and how terrific he is. He was 20 and 0 with 20 knockouts, and he was fighting this guy, Joseph Parker, who who uh I mean, it was an it was a joke. I mean, they, to me, the only thing about the heavyweight division now is that they're big. I think that's the mandate. Everybody needs to be big. But that's it. And, you know, now we're, now we're kind of gearing up for this fight with Deontay Wilder, the American. He's 6'7". Uh, Anthony Joshua is 6'6". And, you, you know, I mean, they're just big guys who can bang. D- to me, I don't see any skill whatsoever. And I was watching a fight. I was so disgusted uh, because, quite frankly, as I'm watching a fight, and I had to fight this Parker fight. Joshua won by decision. Unanimous decision. A 12-round decision. I'm I'm scoring a fight. And the way I had the fight, I had it a draw. I had it 114-114. But, you know, so when you're having a draw, you know, I'm sitting at home and, and I'm making little notes. So I put question marks to the rounds that I thought were close. Okay, there were a couple of close rounds. But then the judges, I, I hear the judges' cards. Two judges had it 118-110, which means they had it 10 rounds to two in favor of Joshua, and the other guy had it 
119-109, which means he had it 11-1. to 1. Now, I don't know if they were on heroin, drugs, booze, whatever, but they, they weren't seeing straight. Now, I, I know it's subjective, but listen, that's another thing that's wrong with boxing. So I was so aggravated, and I was planning on not having a guest this week, but after watching that fight, I said, there's only one guy I got to have on. So I picked up the phone, and it must have been midnight, and I call Mr. Teddy Atlas, not just a great um, trainer and boxing analyst, but he lives, breathes, and eats boxing. He, he, he has a passion for it. He loves the sport, not just with pros, working with kids. So I'm pleased to welcome him now. Teddy, Russ Salzberg, how you doing, my friend? Good, Russ. Good to be with you. Always good to be with you. Well, Teddy, you heard what I was just saying. So let, let me begin by asking you flat out, because you, your passion and your love for boxing uh, is, quite frankly, from people that I know, second to none, but you're also, when I say your passion goes both ways, as much as you love it, you love it so much that you're man enough to criticize things that are wrong with it. Now, l- let me just start by saying I watched that fight, and for two, for two judges to have it, 110, excuse me, 118-110, and the other one, 119-109, I thought that was just insanity. It, it reeked of crookedness to me. Your thoughts? Yeah, I've seen worse, and and unfortunately, that's that's kind of where you are in boxing. Is that you know you apologize for the sport, or if you don't apologize for the sport, you just say, well, it's par for the course. In other words, people just say, well, that's boxing. What do you expect? And that hurts me. That bothers me because you should expect what's right in whatever sport or whatever endeavor. Whatever vocation, whatever business you're involved in, you should expect to get it right, to be treated fairly, especially when people risk themselves. Uh, I think even more so, you know, that you should, there should be an emphasis on getting it right. And that's the problem with my, my sport. I love my sport. I've been in most of my life. But I have to say, and a lot of people get mad, a lot of people, you know, promoters get mad because they make their livelihood at it. But it's a corrupt sport. And again, I'll say it again, it's a corrupt sport. And people get mad. Now, the fighters aren't corrupt. I mean, they can be the most noblest of warriors. They go in there and they risk themselves. They put everything on the line. But And the sport's not corrupt. It's the administrators of the sport. We don't have a national commission. All the other major sports do. All of them. And then when something goes wrong with the other major sports, baseball, football, I mean... Right to the government, people will say, there was one time where the president was getting involved with baseball when there was an epidemic of problems that threatened the sport. All of a sudden, well, we'll get involved. But nobody seems to care when it comes to my sport, our sport, boxing. And, yeah, there's that corruptible element to the sport. But I've seen, again, it's sad to say that people, they... When it comes to boxing, there's a bad decision. You can say, well, I've seen worse. Instead of saying, I shouldn't see it anymore. And, but I have seen worse. Um, I thought, what I thought was that Joshua won. And I thought that at a certain point in that fight, that Parker just was trying to survive. 
that he got to a point where he was trying to survive. And I thought the fight or the possibility of it being a more entertaining fight was destroyed by the referee. Well, I agree with that, yes. I, I mean, he, he must have been a disciple of Gandhi. <laughs> the great pacifist. <laughs> I mean, really, I, I'm, I'd like someone to ask him. The way that he broke or just disrupted the fighters, any time there was any sign that there was going to be punching or fighting, somebody needs to tell that referee. And that's another problem. No administration in the sport. No problem proper administrators of the sport to make sure this guy doesn't destroy another fight, that he gets put out to pass it. Somebody needs to explain to that referee that, hey, fella, you know what? Punching inside is legal. It's not illegal. Right. It's allowed. Yeah, no, it, it, listen, I, I thought the, the, I was going to get to it, but you, you just took care of it for me. I thought the, the ref in the ring was lousy. And, and I'm not, I wouldn't have, believe me, Teddy, if somebody would have said, okay, 116, 114, but when I heard 10 rounds to two, it, it just, and, and then I'm hearing, which brings us to another problem, then I'm hearing after the fight, you know, the two English commentators, how it was a, the consummate professional performance by Anthony Joshua. And and Joshua says, well, now he wants to fight Deontay Wilder, but they got to come here. Well, I'll tell you what. If if I was Anthony Joshua and I'm drawing, because the English people go nuts for their fighters, if I'm drawing 80,000 people and I'm going to get decisions like that, what the hell do I need to travel across to go to the United States for? <laughs> you know, and I'm getting decisions like that. Why would I risk anything in a major fight? Besides the fact, I think he got something like $20 million. When all is said and done with the TV stuff, he's getting like $20 million, pounds, which is like $28 million for that fight. It's insane. Well, listen, there, when you're across the pond, as they like to right. talk about over in London and over in Lincoln, uh, in, in England, you you don't have the competition you have with other sports. You don't have competition with LeBron James, right. Steph Curry, you know, uh, with with Tom Brady. Uh, you know, go on and on and on and on. I mean, you got three things over there. You got boxing, you got soccer, and you got snooker. Um, you know, if if you like to watch snooker, which is, I think, basically pool with no pockets. <laughs> but so it's easy for a star to be born, and they become movie stars over there. Yeah, they, they do. do. They do. Everybody, I mean, eighty percent, sometimes ninety percent of the population is watching a fight. It's, it's mind-boggling because, again, there's there are not the other options that you have over here in the United States. So I concur with you that I would go as far as saying it would be mismanagement. Look, I know we want to see the best fights, but it's the job and the duty of the management, of the people with the fighter, with Joshua in this case, to get him the most money for the least risk. It would be really mismanagement. They should be arrested if they go and fight Wilder too soon. Wilder can't fight. He can't spell fight. Does everything wrong. Drops his hands, pulls back. He's on the wrong legs. Throws from left field, right field. He throws from the subway underneath. Everywhere. But one thing, he can punch. Yes, he can. He can bang. And he's long. And, and punches, punches are not made. They are born. And he was born with that power, with that thunderbolt in the right hand. But for them to take that risk and fight him, when they can make money fighting doormen, I mean, maybe they're tough, Dorman, but they can fight. 
just about anyone, and they can put 80,000 people, 90,000 people, yeah, 100,000 people into a stadium. Why would you want to take the risk? It's very similar to some years ago with Canelo and Triple G. People used to ask me, Teddy, when's that fight going to happen? It's the best fight out there. It's the most competitive fight. It's the best test. Yeah, so what? If Canelo can continue making the money he makes with pay-per-view with the great Latino audience, which is great fight fans, behind him, why would he go and risk fighting Triple G? And I said it. I said it's not going to happen for several years. And sure enough, it took several more years for that fight to happen. Same situation here. And now, unfortunately, because of some drug use, that fight's not going to happen, at least not for a while. But I, I, I don't want to get bogged down on that because I want to stick with the heavyweights right now, Teddy. So, so that brings me... That's one issue we, we just covered, you know, but it brings me to the other issue, how I opened up. What the hell's happened to the heavyweight division in boxing? Because, listen, you had a young Mike Tyson, okay? We know about Evander Holyfield. You know, a lot of fighters, smoking Joe Frazier, you know, uh, Muhammad Ali. God rest his soul. You know, he, he, he wasn't six feet six or something, six foot six. But to me... All I'm looking at today, Anthony Joshua, he's 6'6". I'm looking at um, uh, Deontay Wilder, he's 6'7". The guy that Joshua beat, the 41-year-old, you know, what, last year, uh, Vladimir uh, Klitschko. They're big guys, but I don't see any skill set whatsoever. Like you just said, you're born with power. Well, if you're that big, you're going to have power. Okay, you're going to have power. You're going to have the ability to knock somebody flat out on their ass. But I don't see any skills. And quite frankly, because of that, look, there was just as we just were talking about, we're talking about a heavyweight championship fight that just took place this Saturday night over in England. And you know what? There wasn't a blip, you know, on the news in in the papers, you know, Sunday, Monday, nothing. You know, so to me. You got to have a strong heavyweight division to help the sport. And I think the heavyweight division stinks now. I don't know your take on it. You tell me. Listen, the reason why the New York Yankees are good again is why? Farm system. Farm system. They're bringing young guys up to replace the other guys. Not just going for the older guys that they tried for a while. They were free agents. They were fat. They were overpaid. They didn't have the fire in their belly. You know, it worked a little bit. Right. But really what it comes down to is farm system. Bring the young. Well, we don't have a farm system. That's our amateur program in boxing. That's the Olympic program. We don't have a good amateur program anymore. Why is that, Teddy? Well, well it's... It's because we don't have the right people out there coaching, making those decisions. Quite frankly, it's too much politics. I mean, they put people in place that make the decisions on how to go about choosing our Olympic team and developing our Olympic team. They give it to people that they have relationships with, with people that they're friendly with, with people that are, if I told you, if I ever had the list in front of me, and I've seen it in the past, where I read down that list of what the vocations of these people are, it's everything other than boxing. I mean, they, they were good librarians, they were, they were good financial experts, they, they were good at, you know, other things, but... They they didn't they weren't affiliated with boxing. It's absurd, but it's the politics of the sport. And again, it's the lack of administration or or of policing or caring about the sport in those dimensions. Somebody making sure that the right decisions are made. So we don't 
we don't have a good we haven't had a gold medalist for a long long time we we don't do well on the world stage anymore and part of it is also quite frankly it goes beyond that we don't have as many boxing gyms as we used to now we have more of the guys going into football and we got them going into other sports and the big guys you touched on it you said big okay well a lot of the big guys are being pushed into football by who well, sometimes it'll be by people associated with their upbringing. It'll be by their parents. Sometimes the mother has to say. A mother and a father would much rather push a kid into football, as dangerous as it is. Right. And I, I would beg that it's more dangerous than boxing because you don't know where the attack is coming from. It's 11 different places. But I will tell you, they will push their kids. You know why? They can get a scholarship to – they don't have to make it in the NFL. They get a scholarship to college. All right, let, let, let me let – and, and you can't get a scholarship to college in boxing. In the old days, you could. If I was I, – and look, I am not making the – don't take this the wrong way. I'm not in any way making a push to say, well, I'd like to be the national czar right, of boxing right. or anything. But I'm just saying, if there was one, I would suggest to them – that would be one of the things to do. Bring back scholarships to boxing. So so parents will get behind it. People will get behind it that aren't inclined to get behind it to tell their kids, hey, you know what? You can go into this sport and maybe you might not become a Joe Frazier, uh, Muhammad Ali, you know, a, a Mike Tyson or whatever, you, although you wouldn't want to be him as a human being. I, I, Teddy, but, I, I'm, I'm with you on that, but I'm going to disagree on one point. Let, 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 let me, you know, bring this up to you. I think you're 100% right. It, it would be great. But as you, I've heard you describe this, you know, boxing is, is the hurt business. You know, it, it, it's the hurt business. It's a tough that's why I'm passionate about it because it's a tough business. If you go, you step in that ring, if you're not prepared, something can go bad wrong. But that's what we're talking about. Well, right? No, I, I, the I, right I, coaches, right? But but here's what I'm also saying. When, when we to, to me, it's got it, it's not just parents pushing their kids in, in other directions. The reason I say that. Uh, there's always exceptions to the rules, Teddy, but. To be in boxing, to be in, in the fight game, the the real fight game. Yeah, you and, come and, from a tough you, place. You gotta come. You gotta say. you gotta come from the mean streets. You can't. You can't well, be you don't a quiet. Think football players come from those places. Yes, you know you're right. But 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 I'll tell you what, it's it's rougher. You, you gotta. I mean the hunger. The crap that you have to have, I, I mean, you, you got to have that tenacity to, to step into a ring. But you still have people that influence their decisions. Yes, okay, fair That I will agree with. And those people are more prone to push them, or would be more prone is the way I should say it, to push them towards boxing if there was another place to be successful other than getting all the way to the pros. To be able to go to college, to get out, to get out from the tough neighborhood that they're in by going to college. Well, I, I listen. Listen, I, I, I'll tell you th that sounds like a very, very noble idea. But with all that, <laughs> listen, it's only one of the elements, right? It's all. It's another thing. I'll tell you another thing. All the other sports do a better job of selling themselves. You know, of of making sure that well that's listen boxing has always been viewed boxing, as a racket yeah, we know I mean, that you don't have anybody out there that is 
doing any PR for boxing in the way that it is for Little League Baseball, as it is for Pee Wee football. It's the truth. You don't have that. What you have is you have some down-and-dirty gyms in tough areas and where a kid will walk into a boxing gym, you know, because he's being picked on or because, you know, that that is some way of getting out of his neighborhood. And he doesn't even have the registration fee to go to football. Right. You know how many kids I got in my foundation gyms? Uh, there's no charge. And those kids couldn't go towards football and baseball. They can't pay $100 for a baseball bat nowadays or for a glove or for cleats. But you can walk into a boxing gym and if you walk into the right one and there's no charge. Right. Well, T- Teddy, before we close, let me ask you this, though. Again, I was talking about the skills or lack thereof of the heavyweight division. Obviously, it's incumbent upon managers and trainers. Like you said, there's no farm well, system. Well, there's no teachers either. Okay, so, so are you telling me that, that these big guys, just because you're six foot seven and can throw bombs and, no, and, and dynamite with each fist doesn't mean you still don't need to learn the skills? No, no, what I'm telling you is one of the reasons for the decline, and you're not wrong, of the, is that there's no amateur programming. What that means is that where you had the Joe Frazier's and you had, you you called them off before, you know, you had the Frazier's and the Foreman's and even had Tyson and you, before that you had the great Joe Lewis and Rocky Marciano. You had all these guys. They uh, were Larry amateur, Holmes. Larry uh, Holmes. They were in amateur programs. They had 100, 200, 250 amateur right. fights. Most of them were gold medalists. That means they were taught. That means they started when they were 10, 12 years old. This is all they did. They, they were, they were, dedicated to the sport of boxing and they learned from from the ground up now you got guys and you touched on it now you got guys that are coming into the sport later in their 20s in their late teens sometimes even in their mid 20s that are just athletes that are just big guys i tell you what a lot of guys that couldn't make it on the nfl level they couldn't make it on the division a level, uh, Division A, Division One football, and they're big, they're athletic, and they go into boxing. That's what you get, and and that is part of the answer to your question. Yeah. You're not getting the guys that started when they're t- the same thing in baseball. Can you imagine? You see these great baseball players out there. Yeah, they start in little league when they're six, seven, eight, nine years old. They get taught the rudiments of the sport. Well, could you imagine if they didn't start till they were twenty or nineteen? You'd have a lot of drop balls out there in the outfield. Yeah. You'd have a lot of swing and misses. So. That is a big part of it, and again, to your point, they grab big guys, it's a money grab, it's a money thought, where you say, hey, you know, um, you're, you're 22 years old, you got nothing really going on, you played Division One football, uh, Division Two football, uh, why don't you try boxing? And you're getting more and more of those guys that are coming in, and you're going to get less of a refined skill set right. when you start going down that route. Well, Teddy, listen, my friend, your passion always, it doesn't speak, it screams loud and clear. And uh, uh, listen, I'll be the first one to say the sport certainly needs more people like you. Teddy, if I had three hours with you, it wouldn't be enough time. So we're definitely going to have you come on again. But, uh, you know, thanks for coming on now and talking about this. And, uh, you you know, there'll be a lot more to talk about when we get closer to a wilder and um, 
Joshua fight if it ever comes to fruition. But in the meantime, again, my thanks. You're always terrific, and uh, keep punching. My pleasure, Rose, anytime. All right, buddy. Thank you very much. The, The great Teddy Atlas, folks, I mean... You can hear his passion, and uh, when I talk about get a load of this, when you're listening to uh, one Teddy Atlas, it is certainly about getting a load of this. All right, Teddy Atlas, certainly, uh, if you don't think he's passionate, then you can't hear. Let's put it that way. I I mean, his passion and love for the sport of boxing is second to none. He's a tremendous teacher. He works with kids, works with pros, and uh, he certainly tells it like it is. But believe me, the sport of boxing, especially the heavyweight division, it has taken a giant step backwards. The guys are just big, as far as I'm concerned, and their skill sets are awful, just awful. But I'll tell you another thing that is awful. It brings me to a topic that really is starting to piss me off. And it's embarrassing because, you know, I made my bones in a world of sports. We always hear fake news. We hear this talk about fake news. But basically, when you hear fake news, it's always addressed in the world of politics. And, you know, obviously, in the society that we have today and what's going on, uh, pro-Trump, anti-Trump, left, right, you know, Democrat, Republican, conservative, you know, it's ugly. But there's fake news now in the world of sports, and I really think it's disgraceful. And the reason I know that there's fake news in the world of sports, because I'm around it. And I watch what people write, and I watch what people say, and I hear what people say. And a lot of it is just not true. And, and you know, a case in point is the old Dell Beckham situation. Now, listen. I've discussed Odell Beckham here in the past. Uh, uh, as I said, you know, he, he's acted like a knucklehead at times. He needs to be smacked in the head. But as, as Dave Gettleman says, you don't give up on talent. Okay? But people have made an issue. You know what you call it? What What's the term today? Clickbait? That's what it is. It's clickbait. He is, Odell Beckham Jr. is clickbait. If people write about him or talk about him, it just sends off fireworks. And people tune in and people buy and people read. But it's nonsense. Recently, I saw Stephen A. Smith from ESPN make the comment, okay, on TV, make the comment that the Giants are overreacting to Odell Beckham's actions. Really? The Giants didn't overreact one bit. Not one bit. I'll tell you who's overreacted is the media. Because it's juicy. It's sexy for them. So it's great for them to write. Now, I'm not sitting here apologizing for Odell Beckham Jr. So don't read me the wrong way. Okay? I'm just telling you like it is. Where did the Giants, like Stephen A. said... The Giants are overreacting. What, where did they overreact? John Maris said, when you're a 3-13 and 13 team, the owner of the Giants, one of the co-owners, John Maris says, nobody is untouchable. That makes perfect sense to me. 
Your team sucked last year. They were 3-13. and 13. Nobody should be untouchable. But because he said nobody's untouchable, right away, boom. That means Odell Beckham Jr. is on his way out because he said he's untouchable. No, that's not what it means. It means nobody's untouchable. Then the next thing is, oh, the Giants are actively looking to trade Odell Beckham Jr. They had their, him going to the Rams. He wants to be with the Rams because a source said from a source that he wants to be with the Rams. Really? Is that a fact? Well, here's the deal with the Giants. If somebody comes to you or your place of business, whether you're look, I don't care if it's a mom and pop store on a corner, you weren't planning on selling it. But if somebody comes to you and they're going to make you an offer to buy that little shop, an offer that you can't refuse, you're going to listen. That's what you're supposed to do. And in the world of sports, that's what you're supposed to do. So if somebody wants to acquire Odell Beckham Jr., Okay, so what do you want to offer me? Uh, let's If you, you want to offer me something, let's start with a couple of first-round draft, draft choices. Does that mean the Giants? Uh, that, then I was reading stuff. The Giants are actively, you know, they're officially put him on the market, accepting offers. Well, they're going to listen to anybody. It doesn't mean they want to trade him. They do not want to trade him. Take that to the bank. Now, because I say that, am I 100% sure that he can't be traded? No. Because if somebody knocks them over with a great offer, maybe they will. Because in this this age of sports with free agency and, and huge mega contracts, it's common sense to listen to any and everything. But this business, it's bullshit. It's fake news. And, and I read something else. You know, could the Giants possibly be concerned about Odell Beckham poisoning the locker room? Let me tell you something, folks. And again, I do not condone him making like a dog peeing on the field. I do not condone some of his behavior. I do, do, do not condone him being a knucklehead and having some toots take a selfie or put him on Instagram, you know, in a hotel room. Okay? But I can tell you this beyond a shadow of a doubt. Cold, hard fact. His teammates in that locker room love him. Love him. You hear what I'm saying? Not like him. Love him. They look up to him. He's the hardest working guy on that team. And a lot of guys work hard. He's the hardest working guy on that team. Could he be caught up in celebrity in this and that? Yeah, that, that's some of the things that need to be addressed. And I'm sure the Giants are looking to do that. But, but don't, don't put out crap that's not there. Because that shit is just not true. And it really, it's embarrassing to me because I'm part of this business of sports. And I never threw anything, for as long as I'm doing this, listen, we all want to break stories. But I've never thrown anything up against the wall for the sake of making news or to see if something sticks. I don't think that's the proper way to do business. And again, I can't sit here and guarantee that old Del Beckham Jr. can't be traded. But if he's ever going to go, 
Someone's going to have to make the Giants an absolute offer that they can't refuse. But I don't expect them to get that. And I, th- I not I think, I know they would be quite happy if everybody sat down, everybody had a meeting of the minds, Odell owned up to some of his shortcomings, they paid the piper, and Odell Beckham was a giant for life. Believe me, that's what the Giants would prefer. And if anybody says different than that, they're full of it. Period. They are full of it. Odell Beckham, the Giants want him to be a giant forever. Things change. Listen, we we saw Phil Simms get cut by the Giants, who might have been, let him rest in peace, God rest his soul, the late great patriarch of the Giants, Wellington Mara, might have been his favorite Giants. Stuff happens. But stop with this fake news with Odell Beckham Jr. because it's just a bunch of BS. I'll tell you what else I think is BS. This first week in baseball, some strange goings on. And one thing that I find very strange, on Wednesday afternoon, the Mets game of this week to be seen was only going to be seen on Facebook. You hear me? (laughs) On Facebook. If you tuned on to any of the stations that covers the Giants, uh, Giants, I'm in good shape. If you turn on any uh, of the stations that covers the Mets, you know, if it would have been SNY or, you know, Channel 11, no, just on Facebook. They say they want to reach kids or a different audience. No, I'll tell you what they want to reach. They want to reach into their pockets because apparently this Facebook deal has started, you know, MLB, I think uh, Facebook paid, according to a Bloomberg report, between 30 and $35 million. Now, you know what? I I was talking with my producer here, Mike Coscarelli, before. Listen, God bless. I don't think it's such a bad idea if you're going to have something on Facebook. But there's going to be 25, I think, MLB games this year on Facebook. Only on Facebook. Now, if you're going to put games on Facebook, that's fine. But put them on, you know, someplace else as well. Let it be on SNY. Let it be on another station. Or if it would be a Yankee game on, yes, and, and Facebook. But just on Facebook? It, 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 don't tell me it's for the kids. It's for the pockets. Okay? J- just like Major League Baseball is coming up with this idea of next year the Yankees playing games in England against possibly the Red Sox. What the hell for? What, what are you, you going to have? The uh, London Lancers joining the American League? Or the Cardiff cockamamies? I mean, really, it's stupid. But it's about money, it's about marketing. And I don't begrudge anybody. Listen, we're all in a business to try and make money. But this stuff is getting silly. It's getting absolutely silly. 
I, I mean, games just on Facebook, 25 games just going to be on Facebook. Day games. Oh, now let's put two and two together. It's just going to be day games. Nah, they don't want to go into the night games because the night games is your bigger audience. Advertising, whatever. I mean, the hypocrisy, that the crap that goes on is is ridiculous. I'll tell you something else that, that baseball needs to do. I know they're never going to do it. And, and listen, I went... To- I went this past Monday, went to Yankee Stadium for the home opener on Monday. And I I'm, I get there 9 o'clock in the morning. As they hand me my pass, word comes that the game is postponed. So I slept back home. Then I come back the next day, and you're sitting in the rain and the mist and the garbage. I understand. But why can't – I mean uh, – Home openers are always a problem because you're starting, you know, and this year they started at the end of March. But, you know, it's the early part of the year in the Northeast. You're always running into a problem. But I'll I'll say it time and time again, and I realize you can't turn back the clock. But when I was growing up, nothing was better than a Sunday or a holiday doubleheader. Nothing. Now, granted, you know, you can go to a doubleheader. I, I, I went and sat in a loge box at, 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 at Shea Stadium for $2.50, a doubleheader. Your mother would pack your lunch, and you would go with your buddies. And you'd save a little something for a hot dog later or something to drink. I, I understand the times have changed. There's big money, and, and nobody wants to give up dates. But you're not, if you're going to tell me you want to be concerned about the kids, if, if you're going to give me that business that you want to be concerned about the kids, then why don't you have single admission doubleheaders on the schedule? Lots of them. Why don't you have that? And if you want to be concerned so much about the kids, why don't you stop with the late Ball games, you know, the Sunday night, what's Sunday night games, 8, 8.30? I understand there's money to be made, but don't tell me, you know, Facebook for kids, for a younger audience. I mean, really? And now, now I know a lot of people are going to say, well, yeah, I like it because now I can sit at work when instead of doing my work, I can watch uh, the ball game on Facebook. I don't know if the bosses are going to like that, but, you know, that's a whole other issue. I'm not begrudging Major League Baseball making money. Not, not begrudging, you know, any sport of making money. I get the marketing. I get the jerseys. I get, I get everything. But don't use... Don't make excuses. Don't tell me you want to do stuff for the kids and then you go, you know, why can't you bring back doubleheaders? Single admission doubleheaders. You know, how? here's how lucky I was as a kid. My hand to God. This is, this is how fortunate I was. Shea Stadium, 1964. The first time I went to Shea Stadium with my father, was a Memorial Day doubleheader against the Giants, the San Francisco Giants, the Willie Mays Giants. 
okay? And I remember my father, you know, he was a National League guy. He says, oh, and this new stadium, it's great. There's no poles. There's no nothing in, 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 in Shea Stadium. You, you know, there's no obstructed views, nothing. So we go to our seats. And we had like a first row in a loge box, okay, in right field corner, the right field corner. Where was my father's seat? Directly behind the right field foul pole. And how many games did we get? How many innings of baseball did we see? Like the first game started at 1 o'clock. The second game ended, I think it was something like 11-26 because the second game was a 23-inning game of which the Giants won. Uh, they swept the doubleheader. Willie Mays at one point in the game had to play shortstop. You know what it was for a kid? You know, I, I, what was I, 12, 13 years old? You know what it was for a kid to, to watch two games? Now, that was Memorial Day 1964. What was it? Three weeks later, I go to a Father's Day doubleheader with my, with my father. First game of the doubleheader for the Phillies, Jim Bunning. Pitches a perfect game. Mets got swept again. But doubleheaders double headers were paradise for kids. And now if you have a doubleheader, if there's a makeup, well, it's a double admission. I mean, you know, it's a day-night doubleheader. I just, I don't know. You know, I never wanted to be one of those an old fart whining about, ah, it was better in my time. But you know what? It was better. It was better for the kids. You were able to enjoy yourself. I'll tell you another thing that really annoyed me this week at Yankee Stadium. Um, when, When they got that home opener in on Tuesday... Giancarlo Stanton, who banged out a couple of home runs in his first game as a Yankee, well, in his first game at Yankee Stadium, he had the unfortunate situation of striking out not once, not twice, not three times, not four times. He struck out five times. And you know what? The fans booed Giancarlo Stanton. Now, is it the end of the world? No. But I'm going to tell you something. I've never booed growing up anytime. I've never booed one of my own teams or one of my own players unless the guy was a dog. What I mean by being a dog, if they didn't try, if they didn't show up, that's a different story. Giancarlo Stanton struck out five times. Do you think the fans booed him? Do you think Giancarlo wanted to strike out five times? Do you think he you, you think he wasn't a little pumped up to play in his first game at Yankee Stadium and the fans booed him? I mean, listen, you got great fans at Yankee Stadium. But I thought that was disgraceful. You're booing one of your own because he had a bad game. He didn't have a bad game on purpose. And you know what? That harkens me back to last year in the playoffs. When fans booed, if you recall, uh, fans booed Joe Girardi in the um, 
series with the Indians because he didn't ask for a, a, a replay. Uh, somebody hit on the wrist. He didn't ask for a replay. Yankees subsequently um, lose the game. So when they do the introductions at Yankee Stadium, he gets booed. You think he he screwed up on purpose? I, I, I just don't understand that. And, and, and listen, it just so happens these two incidents that I'm, I'm bringing up happened at Yankee Stadium. That's not a cond- condemnation of Yankee fans because I've seen it happen in every ballpark and every arena, any place. Okay? I'm, I'm just saying, you know what? Talk about cutting your own some slack. I mean, Giancarlo, Giancarlo Stanton is a Yankee, and he's going to be a Yankee for a long time. I'm sure nobody was booing or, or throwing crap at their TV when he was banging those two bombs in his first game as a Yankee to open up the season up in Toronto. I'm sure nobody was throwing anything or booing then. Everybody was patting themselves on the back. Oh, we got it made in the shade. This guy's great. Him and Judge and blah, blah, blah. It's going to be terrific this season. He had a lousy game, so now everybody's killing him. And then if he goes and hits a couple of bombs tonight, everybody will tell him to drop his pants so they can kiss his ass. I mean, it gets a little stupid. Such is the world of sports. But uh, that is a wrap on today, folks. I want to thank the great Teddy Atlas. Um, his passion just speaks volumes. We'll have him on again for an extended chat because there's not enough hours in a day to talk with Teddy. I mean, Teddy's one of those guys you put a quarter in the jukebox and just let it run. It goes around and around and around. So I want to thank Teddy. Uh, I want to thank my terrific producer, Mike Coscarelli. I want to thank uh, program director at 77 WABC, Craig Schwab. Um, uh, you know, and you know, most importantly, I want to thank you people. I want to thank you people, the listeners, and, and, and keep listening and let me know what you think. You can get in touch with me at uh, Twitter, at, you know, at Russ Salzberg or on Facebook. Uh, please let me know your thoughts. We've been pretty happy uh, getting out of the gate. We, we, we think we got it down to what we want it to be, a real kind of New York flavor. But again, you know, it's not just going to be sports. Some days, believe me, it's going to be politics, it's going to be entertainment, it's going to be issues that, that's going on in our society. But right now, listen, we've got a lot going on in the world of sports, so that's what we're talking about. But again, our thanks to you. Uh, and please, I'm anxious to know how you feel. So, uh, and uh, what I, I thanked everybody, but I didn't thank the OG Podcast Network. Make sure you tune in. Always go to the OGPodcastNetwork.com, and I'm there. And all you got to do is punch up. Get a load of this. We're on Apple. Uh, We're all over the place. We want to get as many people listening as uh, we possibly can. So that's a wrap on today, folks. Always remember to get a load of this. Until next time, it is Russ Salzberg saying bye-bye, so long, and farewell. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. 
Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.